This morning's reading is taken from the first lesson, sorry, the first letter to the Thessalonians. I don't think many people these days are following in a physical Bible, but if you are and you have a church Bible, it's on page 1186, and I'll give anyone who is a moment to find it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though, as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Andrew. Good morning. I'm Sam, one of the staff team here, and it's great to see you, great to be here with you, and if you're joining us online, great to have you with us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you take these words by your spirit and be at work among us, shaping us increasingly into a community that brings you pleasure and glory. Amen. Have you ever taken a road less traveled? Perhaps a physical road, a literal road or path traveling to an unusual, hard to reach, out of the way sort of destination? Or taking an alternative path, a harder path to get there? Or perhaps a metaphorical road less traveled in the sense of taking on a challenge to get those grades, study at that university, achieve that particular career. Or maybe something crazy like 
swimming the channel or climbing that mountain. Maybe you're the kind of person who's always walking that sort of a road, always looking for the next challenge. Or maybe you're the kind of person who's happy to switch on Netflix and watch a documentary about those sorts of people. Taking the road less traveled is not an entirely foreign concept to us. To some extent, I think the search for adventure and meaning is hardwired in us. If you're looking for a road less traveled this morning, if you're looking for a life full of meaning and purpose, then look no further. A life of authentic discipleship following Jesus is one such road. Paul, in our passage this morning, you might have noticed, is defending himself, his life, his ministry among the Thessalonians. Now, before Paul arrived in uh, Thessaloniki, the Romans had built a road, uh, a long road. It was called the Via Ignatia, and it stretched from the Adriatic Sea on one side to the, to the city of Byzantium on the other. That was the road that Paul would have used to walk from, Philippian, uh, from Philippi 90 miles or so to his next stop in Thessaloniki. That road would be the equivalent of one of our motorways today, a major trunk route connecting major cities. And it seems that since Paul's abrupt departure, see Acts 17, where a riot forces him to be sort of smuggled out at night, accusations have been leveled at Paul. Likely, he's been accused of abandoning this fledgling community just as it was getting going. As soon as things became uncomfortable, he was out. He was only in it for himself. He was just another charlatan on this Via Ignatia, plying his trade, moving on as soon as things got hard. And Paul in this passage is saying, no, he wasn't another fake or phony disciple on the way. He was and is an authentic disciple on the road less traveled. We're in our second Sunday uh, in our series in 1 Thessalonians, how to light up God's world. We catch glimpses here, whispers of God's power and glory in the world all around us. The beauty of the skies, the colors of autumn, the intricacy of one another. But only here in God's word, in Jesus' message of hope, repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation, do we discover this wonderful truth that as insignificant as we are, we're able to please the God who made the world. You and I, we're able to light up God's world. We light it up as we trust in and follow Jesus on the road of authentic discipleship. As we look at this passage, we're going to see three ways that Paul lived out authentic discipleship among the Thessalonians. Obviously, none of us are Paul. None of us have been set apart as the apostle to the Gentiles. And nor is Paul laying out a mandate, particularly for us as authentic disciples. Nevertheless, as we consider Paul's life, there are valuable lessons for us regarding that road that lies ahead of each of us. In defending his ministry, Paul uses three metaphors, that of a steward, a mother, and a father. 
So let's turn to his first defense, Paul as a steward, in verses 1 to 4. The first accusation Paul addresses seems to be that he had no stickability, that as soon as the heat turned on, he was out of there. And Paul says, no, that's not true. He defends himself by reminding the Thessalonians that when he arrived there with them, he'd just come from Philippi, where he says he'd been suffered, he'd suffered and been treated outrageously. If you flick to Acts 16 or read it another time, we learn that Paul and Silas had been stripped and beaten without question. Um, They'd been severely flogged and thrown into prison. So Paul's just travelled several days from that ordeal, and yet he doesn't go into, into hiding or take time to look after himself. Rather, with the help of God, he says, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Paul wasn't just sort of there when the sun was shining. He wasn't a sort of warm weather apostle. There was no error or impure motive behind their gospel appeal, nor any trickery. Paul's saying that he isn't just another fraudster on the highway. He's a steward of the most precious gift. That's why, in the face of strong opposition, he dared to share the gospel. That's what motivates him to put his life on the line, to risk his reputation and possible persecution. He's been given this gift by God, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he seeks to please God, not people. Stewardship is a picture that provides a bigger perspective. Paul wasn't just in it for himself, for his own benefit, his own gain, his own career, but to please God, the God who'd reached out to him and called him. That bigger picture sets Paul free to walk the road of authentic discipleship, to walk it boldly, freely embracing whatever came his way. There's a film that you might have seen called Escape from Pretoria. It's about a man whose name is Tim Jenkin, a white South African born in 1948. After finishing school, he left South Africa and the injustice of the status quo of the apartheid increasingly dawned on him. Motivated to take action, he joined the ANC and began distributing foreign uh, forbidden leaflets and publications, resulting in a 12-year prison sentence. And the film um, is about his subsequent attempted uh, escape from Pretoria Prison. It's worth a watch. But Tim realized the gift he'd been given. He realized that his freedom was not to be taken for granted. Not only that, he realized that it was worth risking it being curtailed in order to steward it well and to seek to share that gift with those to whom it was denied. We, like Paul, have received a greater gift still, the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Our gift is from God the freedom we have and the message we have to share of good news, of hope, of justice, mercy, forgiveness, reconciliation for the world. How will we steward that gift? Are we willing to 
face opposition if it comes our way? Or are we out of there as soon as the heat turns up? Paul saw himself as a steward. And he says that gave him the ability, the confidence to face opposition. Let's turn to Paul's second defense. Paul as a mother in verses 5 to 8. The second accusation against which Paul defends himself is that he came and went and had no authentic, genuine concern for those that he taught, those he saw converted. Paul says no, he was concerned. He was gentle, not throwing his weight around. He was like a mother to the Thessalonians, to that church, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. He says, so we cared for you. Shockingly, Paul takes on that metaphor of a mother tenderly caring for her children. It's a precious and priceless insight into Paul's heart, his pastoral heart for the Thessalonians. Bereft of being taken away from them prematurely, defending his need to leave so quickly, he reminds them of the way that he looked out for them, looked after them in their early days in the faith. He goes on, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. The love they had for the Thessalonians was so strong that not only did they share the good news with which God had entrusted them, they shared their very lives. They didn't come and go without a care for this newborn Christian community. They cared, they shared their lives. And not even because they were commanded to or begrudgingly, they delighted to live openly among the Thessalonians. I wonder who you find most persuasive, most compelling. There are plenty of people vying for our ears, our attention, our eyes. All the Instagram influencers or mega church pastors. But aren't those we find most deeply convincing those people who share their lives with us, not just their message. It's easy to share a photo, a soundbite, an Instagram reel, a podcast, and be seen or heard to convey an appealing message. But isn't the message that carries the most weight the one accompanied by authenticity? But the problem is, in our digital age, it's impossible to really know the lives and lifestyles never mind the heart of all those that we could hear or follow or subscribe to. So when a favorite church leader thousands of miles away falls, it comes as a complete shock and surprise to us. Their podcast was great, their following was global, but how many had access to their life, to their heart? Probably too few. When I think of those who've shared not just the gospel but their lives with me. I think of my parents. I think of my home pastor or youth leaders growing up. Or I think of those short stints when you'd go away on a youth camp or festival or trip and just the nature of being away with a small group for a week or two meant that you just did life together. You rubbed shoulders, you ate together and you sort of saw people at their best and their worst. Who do you think of? Who is it for you? 
I think, particularly in London, in central London, in our increasingly fragmented, isolated, lonely society, we long for the sort of care and the sort of community that Paul speaks of. And yet perhaps the challenge to us is that that community requires something of ourselves. It requires a giving of ourselves. It requires, for one, that we're sufficiently comfortable in our own skin, that we're not afraid to let others come close. I'm tempted to think, if I allow any of you close enough, you'll see what a mess my life is. You'll see that I don't have everything worked out, my desk in order. But just maybe Paul wasn't the finished product either. Maybe as we come close, as we care for one another, share our lives with each other, something of God's grace will be seen at work among us. Finally, Paul's third defense. Paul as father, verses 9 to 12. The third accusation that Paul challenges is that, like every other false disciple, he was only in it for himself, that he relied solely on his naive audience to pay his way. Paul reminds them that wasn't the case. He toiled and faced hardship. At least to begin with, he worked two jobs so that he could support himself as he preached and persuaded that Jesus is the Messiah. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. There was nothing untoward about Paul's stay. He was holy, righteous, blameless among those who believed. Here we get to the crux of his defense. He wasn't a burden nor was his message about himself. He was like a father helping the new Christians to take those faltering first steps in lighting up God's world. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. No good father burdens his children with demands or asks them to live to support the father. Rather, they enable, they encourage and support their children to live well in the world and to be able to do so when their father's no longer there to hold their hand. And so did Paul with the Thessalonians. Paul isn't teaching here on the roles of parents. But what's amazing, surprising even, is that like Jesus, Paul takes both male and female images on himself as he goes about his work and as he walks that road of authentic discipleship. One of my good friends has been waiting weeks for his little boy to take his first steps. For weeks, we around him have been asking or refraining ourselves from asking, has he learned to walk yet? Has he taken those first steps? On Friday, we heard that the moment had come, that he had had the confidence to take those first unaided steps. And then he promptly showed us how much quicker he was at shuffling. My friend's heart for his child is not that the child should um, walk so that he can support him the father but to see him grow see the child flourish and thrive 
And so should our heart be for one another. Underline Paul's three appeals is the openness with which he conducted himself. His defense would have founded had he been entirely cut off, isolated or reclusive. Even if he'd been entirely task-oriented, just appearing on the Sabbath to reason and to preach the gospel message. But it appears that wasn't the case. Again and again, he writes, you know, as you know, you remember. He lived openly among them. While he did so, he remembered that it wasn't for their pleasure that he lived, but for God's. Not to them that he ultimately owed account, but to God. This integrity with which he lived is a wonderful gift and it comes to his defense now. We want to learn from Paul, living so openly among one another and in the world, that our integrity comes to our aid should we come under attack. As we seek to walk the road of authentic discipleship, we remember it's not ultimately the world that will judge us. No, we live solely for the one who loves us so much. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. But when we put ourselves in Paul's shoes, we can see why authentic discipleship is a road less traveled. Put yourself in Paul's skin. Here's a man who's given up the promise of a glittering career in the holy city to embrace a life of itinerant preaching, rejection and suffering. In following Christ, he's exchanged comfort, ease and respect for ignominy. Authentic discipleship is a road less traveled because it's demanding and costly. Service and sacrifice are at its heart. Yet imagine if you are part of a group that embraced this road. Imagine if your home group walked this road of authentic discipleship together week by week, sacrificially serving one another as you walked in the way of Jesus. Wouldn't that be a delightful community, community to be a part of? Imagine if our St. Michael's Church family embraced this less traveled road. Wouldn't we be an inspiring group, a lifeline of hope and encouragement for one another in times of need and to the hurting, broken world around us? Wouldn't we light up God's world by his grace, filled with his spirit as we saw his kingdom come on earth? As an authentic disciple of Jesus, Paul turned to his integrity in defense of his life alongside his ministry amongst and message to the Thessalonians. His integrity is both a reassurance and an example to us. We too can walk the road of authentic discipleship with confidence, knowing that the route is a proven one by Paul and Jesus. It's safe, it's good, it's not a dead end. It has a purpose, it has a destination. The gospel message on which the route is based is sure, safe and trustworthy. We can follow Paul's example with confidence because of the integrity that he showed along the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us 
as we step onto or continue along the less traveled road of authentic discipleship. Please give us the confidence to steward well the precious gift that you've given us in your son Jesus. Give us the hearts to care for those around us and the concern to see our community walk together in your ways. Amen.